You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Alec Jacks. I'm one of the pastors here at the Creek, and I'm just glad that you've chosen to join us this morning in this beautiful weather, which I'm excited about. I don't know if you are, but uh, yeah, there we go. Somebody else is into fall. That's cool. Um, so this morning, uh, I just want to uh, bring us back. I know you're shocked by this, but into the book of Luke. And uh, it's going to be a good morning. So we're going to be in Luke 9. We're kinda just going to dive right in. But I uh, want to remind you, um, last week that we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And, and really, like if you'll remember back, that was really the feeding of the ten to 18,000. And we talked about um, not missing um, the extraordinary gifts of God, what he's given us, making sure that we don't call what God has noted as extraordinary, uh, that, that we don't call those things ordinary, right? And then we talked about how Jesus is our sustainer, um, how he's our sustenance, how he um, holds the universe together by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, um, and how he's holding our hearts together by the power of his love. And then we kind of talked about um, how Jesus's miracles um, don't end on themselves, right? They actually call us into worship and into mission. And so um, whether it's a gift that he's given you or, or just some spectacular miracle in the Bible, it's always calling us into mission. And so today uh, we're going to look at how Jesus um, kind of out of the crowd, if you will, has called us um, from the crowd and into mission. And, and here's what we're going to see. It looks a little bit different than we're expecting this morning. Um, anybody just curious, see the uh, new Wonder Woman movie? Yeah? Somebody? Okay, cool. Um, excellent film. Like, the, the, let's just be real. The ending's a little cheesy, okay? Um, but, but it's a really good movie. Uh, I, I remember um, just being kind of like, like I was inspired walking out of the theater, right? I, I wanted to grab a shield and chase down some Nazis. Like, I'm just being honest. And um, in 2017, but, but I digress. Um, but uh, we see, uh, like, like my wife um, came out of this movie, like she was amped, y'all. And she, she goes to the restroom. This is probably TMI, but she's not here yet, so it's okay. Um, but she uh, is in the bathroom, and, and the stall door wouldn't open. And here's what you got to know, my wife. Um, she is thoughtful. She is, I mean, she's like gentle, like very sweet, a little, little soft-spoken, and and in this moment where she normally would have thought through all the options, she just like drop kicks the door open. It was, it was I mean, she told, it was awesome, y'all. And, and I loved, I mean, this movie was inspiring in that way. Um, the other thing I liked about the movie, though, is that it didn't really shy away from the, the cost that it took Diana, right, Wonder Woman, to be the hero that the world needed her to be. Um, it, it showed her leaving her home, leaving her family, leaving what she loved and stepping into this new world. It showed her, um, like the entire end of the movie, I'm not gonna spoil for those of you who haven't seen it, but, but it's literally just one massive sacrifice so that, um, so that the world can be saved, right? We're still in a superhero movie, but... Um, but that good can move forward in the world. It's, it's all about sacrifice. And so this morning, here's what I want you to see. Um, we're going to talk about um, the calling that Jesus has on our lives. And, and just to be 
um, cards on the table. Um, it, it's going to cost us something. But what I want you to see is that as we follow Jesus and as we give things up for his glory and his name, that it's totally worth it, Un- unbelievably worth it. And so um, let's just take a minute now and, and ask that the Lord would speak to us as, as we open up the word. God, we love you, and we are so thankful for, for your word and for your son, Jesus. And we're thankful that, God, the Father, you sent Jesus, the Son, and likewise, God, you're sending us into the world. And so we just ask that you would give us um, obedience and that, God, you would make yourself our greatest treasure so that all things that we might give up for the glory of your name seem as nothing in the light of your glorious grace. We love you. Um, we ask for your help this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and flip over to Luke 9, if you're not already there. Luke 9, we're going to pick up in verse 21. Verse 21 says this. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Okay, stop. Just real quick. Here's what's going on. I know that was really fast, but um, here's, here's what's going on. Um, Peter, right after this massive miracle, has just confessed Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone. And then here's what he says. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What is Jesus talking about here? The cross, right, and, and the resurrection. Okay, cool, good, we're on the same page. So he's talking about the cross and the resurrection here. And, and what we're gonna see is that this is kind of a common theme that Jesus has in the book of Luke and, and, and all the other gospels um, where he'll just bring his disciples aside and go, I'm going to die. So in verse 43 and 45, we see this kind of mentioned again and the cost that Jesus is bearing. And then I'm in Luke 12, 50, we actually see Jesus say, I have a baptism with which I need to be baptized. What's he talking about there? The cross laying his life down and and being raised, resurrected in the newness of life, right? The same thing we talk about every single time we talk about baptism. You'll see it in Luke 18. I mean, there are actually another couple places we could go to where Jesus talks about his death, but um, this is kind of uh, an awkward placement, honestly. I, I mean, He's just had this huge crowd, this following gather around him. I mean, it seems like things are on the up and up. Peter now has turned to him and gone, you are the Messiah come into the world. Like people are getting it. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to die. And then it's about to get more awkward. It's about to get more awkward. Verse 23 says this. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If I'm Jesus's PR guy, I'm going, Jesus, (laughs) this is bad marketing, bro. Like, and I don't know if I'm comfortable calling Jesus bro, so just scratch that from the record. But um, this is... Bad marketing. This is not a good plan. Like we gotta, if, if Jesus is gonna build a movement like we build a movement, what's he gonna do now? He's gonna come up with some awesome slogans, right? If you wanna follow Jesus, you can have it your way. Like, 
Like Burger King now has better marketing than Jesus at this point, right? And so um, if you want to follow Jesus, every day is going to be Friday. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff, careful, that's the kind of stuff that I want to hear, right? And, and here's the reality. What, what is the vision that Jesus casts? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and here's what you need to understand. In, in 2017, in America, it's easy to hear this take up your cross and follow me and, and kind of make it into a cute little spiritual metaphor, right? The disciples would not have seen this as a metaphor. The disciples when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, would have been very much aware that the empire of Rome put to death people through public execution who were the worst kind of criminals, robbers, thieves, and rebels on a cross. And so when they would have heard this, the cross would have represented shame. Right? This is not a pretty way to go, given the choices. Um, this would have represented suffering. This would have represented um, a public outcry against you. To, to be on a cross meant you, you had to be pretty disliked in general. Uh, and, and here's the thing. On this side of the Bible, right, we can go, oh, but, but this isn't as bad as you think. Like, this is about suffering for the good of others. And, and this is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. But the disciples didn't have the Bible yet, right? They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament because it had been written. And so they don't see it that way. They would have seen this and understood it to be a very different kind of calling from comfort. They would have heard, come and die. But I love that Jesus doesn't just leave us in that, right? He, he actually, um, the rest of this passage is, is essentially four reasons um, why we can do this. And so I'm just going to, as quickly as possible, roll through those four reasons and, and show you the rest of this passage. And so let's, let's pick up in verse 24. 24 says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Here's what he's saying. This is kind of the inverted world principle, right? That um, if you chase after everything else in the world, um, you'll, you'll end up in death. But if you chase after Jesus, you'll end up in a different place. This is the easiest way I know how to say this. Um, there are a lot of hills to die on in this world. You can die on a hill seeking approval. You can die on a hill seeking comfort. You can die on a hill seeking um, power or, or, I don't know, a good, good job, money, whatever that looks like for you. But Jesus says, if you die on my hill, you'll actually experience life. You'll actually experience life where all of those hills you can chase all day long. If you even, even if you land on the hill, if you catch the hill, you're still going to experience death. But if you land on my hill, on a cross on Calvary, you will experience life. And that's the first reason. The second reason is this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Loses or forfeits himself. Um, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. 
if anybody ever been to a casino, you feel free to raise your hand. We're at the creek, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> lots of people, right? Okay, cool. Um, if I was the only one raising my hand, I would have just like walked out. We'd be done. Um, but here's, here's the reality. When you go to a casino, just like a church, right, they, they want to get your information, and they're willing to do anything to get you information. Because once they have your information, here's what happens. You're going to get a bunch of offers in the mail. And, and they sound really good, right? I mean, free steak dinner. Let's go. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm into that. Um, maybe they'll send you a $50 chip, right? But here's the reality of if you take them up on that offer. Even if they send you a $100,000 chip, if you go to the casino, you lose. The house is rigged in such a way that, man, I, and I know, like, you're the one guy in here that's going, nah, man, I got my $50. We're going 50 on red, baby. Let's go. And, and, but, but here's the reality. You're going to lose. No matter what you gamble, no matter what they give you, it's a lose-lose situation for you. And, and that's what Jesus says about all those other hills you could pursue. That if you chase after stuff that might look good in the moment, that if you chase after this job, if you chase after wealth, if you chase after um, status and approval, uh, if you chase after a perfect family, whatever that even means, that even if you get it, it won't satisfy you in the same way that Jesus will. That it's empty, that that $50 chip isn't actually a $50 chip, it's a debt. And so we see this uh, uh, in our lives when we um, chase after things, but um, Jesus doesn't leave us there. Here's, here's what this really looks like. If you chase after and catch the perfect life, like, like you get everything you're dreaming of, the, the perfect wife, the perfect, like you get the biggest house, you know what I'm talking about? The one that you can't afford right now, you get it. I mean, you get the, like you walk out of here, somebody calls you and offers you the job that you want, the perfect job. Like your job is to walk on the beach in San Diego and drink coffee. Like that's, okay, <laughs> it sounds awesome. <laughs> um, if you know of an opening, let me, but, um, but even, here's what Jesus is saying, even if you get it, if you get all those things, all the approval you want, the wealth you want, the status you want, the wife you want, if you get those things but you don't have Jesus, it's empty. It's empty. And it will betray you, and it will not measure up to what your expectations are, and it will not lead you into the life that we have in Jesus. It's empty. And so that's Reason three is if you chase after Jesus, you'll find something that's not empty. Um, here's, here's where he says this. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I know that like 60% of you are already rolling your eyes and thinking about the Facebook post that's like, if you repost this, you really love Jesus. But if not, and that's that, first off, that's not real. Y'all know that, right? But um, but here's, just to invert that promise, here, here's the promise, is that if you chase after Jesus instead of the things of this world, that when you come into the presence of God the Father, Jesus will not be ashamed of you, and God the Father will turn to you and say, well done, good, and faithful servant. He will not be ashamed of you as you come into his presence. And then here's, here's the last reason in this passage. 
But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is a complicated piece because we don't have a good understanding of what the kingdom means. And here's, here's the picture that you might be tempted to have, is that when Jesus says, hey, they won't taste death until they experience the kingdom, um, that you might be tempted to, to hear this and go, well, they're going to live until Jesus comes back. So we get some immortal disciples rolling around the earth that we just don't know about, right? Not true, okay? Just for the, for the record. The other picture you might have is, is that um, Jesus has got the holy hoover of heaven, and right before they die, it's just going to kind of like, suck him up, right? Like just, right before you die, you can't get there, ha ha. And, and like that's, first off, that's holy hoover of heaven is not a theological term, by the way. Um, but but here's, here's the actual picture of what's, of what's going on. When we talk about the kingdom, what we mean is God's dwelling and dominion breaking into the earth in such a way that we tangibly experience his presence and see what God is up to. And and here's what happens in the very next passage. In the transfiguration, we see Jesus going up on a mountain and Moses and Elijah appear on either side of him and God the Father uh, shouts down from heaven, uh, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And what we see is the kingdom of heaven breaking into earth. And we get to see it, right? And so um, we see Jesus when we experience the kingdom for who he truly is. And then the disciples actually get to be, um, men, just witnesses, get a snapshot of who Jesus is and get to see the rescue mission of God beginning as God um, kind of circumvents his dominion over the whole earth. And so this is what it means for the disciples to see the kingdom before they die. They get to see Jesus for who he truly is, the kingdom of God, reaching into earth um, and manifesting itself in the presence of Jesus. Really cool thing, right? Cool promise. But, but those are the four reasons that Jesus gives. And so uh, I, would, I would argue that we also, in a special way, get to experience the kingdom as we live out what God has called us to. But the question for us this morning is what does it mean in 2017 in America for us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus? What does that look like? I want to give you a couple different answers. And the first one is simply this, if you are following along in your notes. We can take up our cross by laying down our comfort for the good of others. We can take up our cross by laying down our comfort for the good of others. And there are two, two kind of pieces to that. The first is that we would lay down our comfort, right? That we would lay down our plan um, and that we would lay down um, what we need, like our wants, needs, and desires. And that in, the, in that place, we would take up um, others' comfort. But also we would take up others' shame. We would, we would kind of try to bear that for them. Um, we would actually take on, instead of our own plan, we would take on God's plan for our life. And, and we see this, like this is the image of the cross. Jesus laid down his comfort. 
completely, right, to take on the cross. He laid down a lot of different things. He laid down his life. He took up our sin and our shame in our place. He he actually even took up in this moment um, God's plan, right, God the Father's plan. Although Jesus was God, um, he even in the Garden of Gethsemane said, not my will but yours. And so we see Jesus in the cross taking up um, God's plan of salvation, despite the fact that it wasn't comfortable. And here's the thing. Everything in you and in me kicks back against this idea of laying down our comfort for others. Our culture shouts, bless you. (laughs) They don't shout, bless you. Um, Just saying. Our culture, that was a weird moment, y'all. Our culture, our culture shouts what you want, what you desire, what your plan is, is, is what's going to make you the most happy. We even, like, we Christianize this a little bit, don't we? Like, well, uh, Psalm 37, uh, God wants you to have the desires of your heart, Right? With, with, we don't need to pay attention to the fact that Psalm 37 is actually about you wanting the desires of God's heart. And as you want the desires of God's heart, God giving you those desires, which are actually God's desires, right? We, we don't need to talk about that. But, but God wants you to have the desires of your heart. And, and so we, in our culture, man, even in the church, go, what is most valuable to me in this moment is what's going to make me the happiest. Here's the problem with that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, I have, <laughs> and, and a, uh, I got a brand new Focus, uh, Ford Focus, about nine years ago. And, <laughs> right? Um, and, and let me tell you, in the moment before I bought that Ford Focus, bro, my heart was set on that Focus. And I really believed if I get this car, all of my problems will be solved. And, and today, there are noises coming from my car that even my auto mechanic cannot explain, right? Because it's become so quickly just stuff. Have you ever pursued something that you thought was going to change your life, make you happy, make things better, and then gotten there only to realize that you still have the same life, you just now have another trinket? Yeah. So here's the thing. As we lay down comfort, I want to paint a different reality of of what that looks like. I would argue this, um, that the flourishing of humanity and also of your relationships is dependent upon your ability to lay down your desires, wants, and needs for the good of someone else. We could go macro level on this and like talk about bigger picture stuff, but but here's let's zoom in real quick and just talk about something that you know. Your relationships are dependent upon the same ability. And where you see in a relationship the ability of both partners to um, lay down their wants, their needs, and their desires for the other person, you see health and flourishing and life. And where you have a partner who says, I am most important, you see tension. That's true in your marriage. It's true in your friendships. It's true in your dating relationships. Um, 
men, if you are a father who has said, my needs, wants, and desires are the most important thing, here's what you're going to see. A family that walks around the house on eggshells trying to not make you angry. Because you in your heart have set yourself up as some sort of God. You've got to lay down your needs and desires for someone else. The reality is that where we are quick to chase after what we want despite what anyone else needs, you experience the death and pain of a broken relationship. And so where you see this, um, where you see this in relationships, it just breaks everything because you set yourself up as the most important thing, and that's reserved for the Lord. And, and so as we pursue these other things, as we pursue laying ourselves down, as we pursue, man, setting down the things that I desire, when you get home after a long day and, and you have to make a choice of whether to go in despite the fact that you're exhausted, to, to lay down your comfort and go play with your kids and go talk to your wife and go do the dishes. Like, do the, somebody say amen to that. I mean, I'm just saying, but that when you have to make that choice where you're able to lay your own comfort down, you'll experience life and a flourishing relationship. And where you don't, you'll experience tension. So God, um, see, where our culture leads us in this way, just in this way, is it actually, if we just pursue our own needs, it leads us into death. And Jesus says that what looks like death and self-sacrifice will actually lead you into life. And that's a really sweet truth. Um, the second thing that I want you to see is that we can take up our cross by laying down our old lives. We can take up our cross by laying down our old lives. Here's, um, here's, here's what this looks like to me, and I know this is a little bit silly. Um, maybe you care <laughs> Maybe you don't care at all, and this is about to just go so far over your head. Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, they let the youth pastor speak. What happened? Um, but but here's, here's what I know. Uh, Taylor Swift is making new music. And, and she put out a video. Um, <laughs> we're talking about this, right? Um, she, she put out a video called Look What You Made Me Do. And in that video, I mean, just trust me on this. If you haven't seen it, there's a bunch of weird stuff that happens in the video. Like there's snakes and um, zombie Taylor Swift. Like stuff gets weird. Um, but but here's, here's the cool thing about this video is uh, towards the end of the video, there is this hill that Taylor is on top of. And she's fighting for her life. And as she's on top of this hill, what you notice is it's not just an ordinary hill, but the hill is made out of um, previous pictures of Taylor that made it into the press. And so they've got all these girls in different dresses and outfits and uniforms um, that Taylor used to be. And the picture is that Taylor is fighting for control of her future and her present as she fights off her past. She is a captive, in a sense, to her former manner of life. She has been bound up. And, and maybe you know what this feels like. Here's, here's how I know what this feels like. When I go to my hometown and I run into my old friends who, who knew me, who knew me in, in my BC days, 
Not, not that y'all have those, but you might know people who do, right? Um, it, there is still a little bit of guilt, a little bit of shame, where, where just a twinge of, man, you have seen me in a different light, where, where we have been held captive to our former lives, where we're held captive to who we used to be, Jesus, in saying, hey, take up your cross, is saying, it's time to put that to death. It's time to put your former manner of life to death. In fact, Ephesians 4 says it this way, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so um, in Jesus, let me just help you get this. You should have different desires, habits, and a lifestyle from who you were before you knew Jesus. And where you don't have that, where you are still bound up in sin, this is Jesus calling you, hey, it's time to lay that down. Put it to death. Put it to death. And here's how this happens. It's you asking the Lord to reveal the areas of your life where you still cling to this old manner of living. And then it's you asking the Lord for help in putting it to death. And then here's Here's the the key in all of this. You have to be real about where you are. You've got to be real about where you are. You've got to be authentic here. It is so easy, and and I've done this. I don't hear this as like a, we're not in this together. We do this. We come to church, and, and where the rest of our life is a hot mess, we go, I'm fine. It's good to be here. Glad you're, glad you're here at the creek this morning, right? And, and if you do that, you are missing an opportunity to walk in community and to walk in health and to put your old life away. Because here's the reality. Your sin, just to get a little metaphorical with you, is, is like a spider. And if you leave the house and you come to church and you turn on the light, what does the spider do? It, it's just gonna go hide behind the couch, It's going to wait till the light goes off again. And and if you don't bring these things into the light and go, we're putting this to death, we're getting rid of who I used to be, we're bringing this into the light, then the spider's just going to go hide. And and so um, ultimately, um, we're going to come back to that spider in just a minute, but we've got to be willing to be real about the spider in our life and real about where we are, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of those things. We bring it up all to the table and bring it into the light. And then here's, here's the other thing I want you to see. When we take up our cross, we embrace Christ's life. We embrace Christ's life. Um, on a pattern, like just simple level, as you sacrifice pieces of yourself, as you sacrifice your comfort for others, um, you are stepping into the pattern in which Jesus lived his life. But it's deeper than that. Because the Bible says that there are two kinds of people in the world. And those two people are either in um, Adam, in Genesis, and Adam was a man who let all of mankind fall into sin. And so if you are in Adam, you are experiencing um, sinfulness, you are experiencing sickness, abuse, um, you are experiencing all of these things that were caused by the fall of man. And so if you are in Adam, um, you are bound for death. 
but in Jesus, we're bound for life. And so as we embrace what he calls us to, we actually step out of the pattern of Adam's life and we step into the pattern that Jesus calls us into. And he doesn't just call us there, he actually gives us life, his life. And so um, in Jesus, we experience, as we take up our cross, we experience stepping into the life of Jesus. And then here's how all of this works. Here's how all of this works. We can take up our cross because Jesus is our greatest treasure. Because he's our greatest treasure. Matthew 13 says it this way. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so here's the picture that we're getting is that Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is greater than anything else that you could ever possess or purchase. He is greater than your approval that some of us so desperately want, right? He's greater than, uh, I know some of us want security. He's greater than that. He's greater than um, any hope you could have in something worldly. He's greater than any tension you could experience in this life. He's greater than your need for power or status or, or anything else in the world. He's greater than those things. He is our greatest treasure. And here's why we believe that. Because to go back to the metaphor of sin being this spider, we in human history forever have all, all we've done is where the spider has gone, we've, we've taken a broom, right? And we've cleaned the cobwebs. We've kind of gone, oh, let's, let's make this pretty. Let's make this look good. Let's make this seem right. What's the problem? Still a spider, right? And so all we've done, and some of us do this different ways. Some of us go to the gym, right? Try to make things look right. Um, Some of us go to church and kind of do this like legalistic religious thing. We're like, well, I'm just going to clean myself up, clean up these cobwebs. We'll, We'll make it right. But the problem is there's still a spider. And the reason why we believe that Jesus is our greatest treasure is because Jesus kills the spider. He puts death to death. He puts sin in its place. He puts sin to death. And so as we follow Jesus, he starts to do that in our lives. And he starts to put those old manner of thinking, that old way of life to death in us. And as he does that, he replaces it with the life that we have in him. I want you to understand really, really clearly. The gospel is not about making bad people good. The gospel is about making dead people alive. And so you, oh my gosh, you have to experience the life that we have in Christ. Because here's the reality, is that if you're still dead in your sin, it's like you've been cocooned by the spider, right? Like you're not getting out. There isn't hope. But in Jesus, he freely gives his life that we might have life. And so here's the deal. Jesus kills the spider. He puts our sin to death. He puts death to death. And instead, he offers us eternal life in his presence. 
and he calls us to himself. And so this morning, um, if you understand that Jesus is your greatest treasure, it makes laying down your comfort, your approval of man, your wants, needs, and desires, it makes laying those things down nothing compared to the, the beauty of knowing Jesus. He's our greatest treasure. And so if he's our greatest treasure, I want to just leave us with, with three thoughts, things to kind of think about um, as you um, head into the week or, or as you pray today. Um, and, and so here they are. In, it is in laying down your life and your comfort that you both pattern yourself after Jesus and find life. If you chase after other things, you don't find that same kind of life. But if you chase after Jesus and you lay things down, um, you will find life. Is there something in your life that you're clinging to more tightly than Jesus? Is there something? It could be, could be approval. Could, could be your stuff. Could be maybe you just want some alone time. I, I don't know. But, but is there something in your life that you're clinging to that's more precious to you than Jesus? That's called an idol. And, and God calls us to lay those things down. Not that they're bad things, but, but that anything that robs God of his glory is a bad thing. And so we, we don't burn it, but we set it in its rightful place, in its right priority, which is below Jesus. The second thing I want to ask you is, is there somewhere where your comfort, where your needs, wants, and desires are interfering with your ability to love someone else? Where, where maybe that's the Lord even. Where, where maybe for the past 10 years, God has called you to read the Bible and you've decided that 30 extra minutes of sleep and your comfort is more valuable than that. Or maybe God is calling you to serve somewhere and, and you've decided, I just, don't, I just don't have time. Or maybe in conversations with your family, like you realize you've got to do a better job of, of loving them because, because you've chosen comfort and selfishness and watching a football game over spending time with them time and time and time again. Don't hear me wrong. Football's not bad. Love football. Got my fantasy league going, but it's got to have a priority beneath Jesus and beneath your family. And then here's the third thing I want you to know. God is not just in the process of making bad people good. He's in the process of making dead people alive. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk this morning. I really don't. But if, if, you're, if you're just tired of trying to do this on your own and, and you've kind of chased comfort and, and realized that it just leads to a dead end and you've chased after your needs and your wants and your desires and you realize that chasing those things actually leads you away from what you want and desire, then today needs to be the day when you just say, God, I need help, and I need it now because I'm broken. And so I want to encourage you in the next few minutes, um, 
you, you've got a couple minutes before the next service rushes in. And so I just want to encourage you, take a few seconds, ask God for help. Um, if you want to sit in your chairs, that's great. If you want to talk to somebody, that's great. We'll have a prayer team at the front. And I, I just want to encourage you, um, don't rush out of this room if you feel that God is leading you into life. Because today you can experience the life that we have in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for your word and that you speak so clearly to us about um, who you are and God, sometimes even, even the cost of what it's going to take to follow you. But God, we realize today that as you, our greatest treasure, is giving us life, um, all of that sacrifice and all of that giving away our comfort for the good of those around us um, is nothing compared to the honor and goodness of knowing you. And so God, we love you and we thank you um, for coming after us in the way that you do. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at